Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting gear, and we have a great show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. On this week's episode, I was joined by First Light's Whitetail Category Manager, Greg Farrell. This is Greg's fourth time being a guest on the show, and with each appearance, I continue to learn every time he is on. Greg lives and breathes and sleeps all things whitetail. I don't know about you, but right now in the middle of July, I'm ready to be in full swing season mode. Greg and I kick things off this episode by catching up a little bit. Following that, we dive into really what Greg is is doing and what he shares, I believe, is such a great perspective on how things have evolved for him. And I think a lot of us will be able to relate when it comes to preparing for whitetail season. So for this podcast episode, we get Greg's preseason whitetail checklist covering what he is doing right now and the rest of the time leading up to the start of the whitetail season. Kind of give you a little bit more cliff notes on this episode. Obviously, we catch up a little bit, but being the whitetail category manager at First Light, you know, obviously he has a huge role in developing gear, but because of that, he has a great opportunity to test gear out, so he's planning his hunt. So we get an opportunity to hear how that really dictates that, where he spends still a lot of time hunting his property in Wisconsin, which is really good and cool to hear how he has done work on that a couple years ago with Jeff Sturgis and how that's evolved for him as well. But then we get into really like what is he doing right now and what does August look like before September hits and he might have to go out and do an early season hunt. So definitely enjoy this fun episode because I'm telling you this Greg is just one of those individuals that I just love to listen to when it comes to what his philosophies are, his strategies, just because these are things that even though out here on in Pennsylvania, I do find myself thinking back and, and applying certain things that he talks about. And when it comes to what he's taking care of right now, it really hits home because it's trying to, not to do a little spoiler alert, but some things aren't always related to hunting. Although I fall in that line, I felt, feel like right now I've created a really good balance of preseason stuff, handling everything going on in that hunting world, as well as my family world. So I hope those of you that are doing that continue to do that, push towards that. It, it's uh, I ho- I'm hoping to pay off when the season rolls around. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in this week with Greg Farrell. Next week, we have a really fun one that I'm really excited to air. Pennsylvania Hunter smashed four bucks last year to three different states. So be on the lookout for next week's episode with with Chris Wiest. Really enjoy this conversation that I have with him. So, But if you like what you hear in this conversation with Greg, please don't hesitate to go leave that five-star review over on iTunes and Spotify. And just if you have that written review, 
on iTunes. I really appreciate it. And then, like I said, I'm finalizing the deal details with Exodus to get some arrows out to you guys. So we'll be on the lookout for that here shortly. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week. Antler up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up podcast. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, third time on the podcast. We got Greg Farrell on, the first light, uh, whitetail cat category manager, a guy that I won not only respect because of the hunter that he is, but also the brain and the stuff that he puts in behind the, the scenes when it comes to putting out some phenomenal gear for us whitetail hunters, especially from first light, obviously, but you know, he's made my life a heck of a lot easier and enjoyable when I'm up in the saddle, uh, when it's November and it's very cold. So Greg, man, it's a pleasure to have you back on the, the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate the very kind intro. I don't know if it's deserving, but uh, I always enjoy hopping on here and catching up with you. And it seems like every time I, I come back, the, the podcast has got a lot bigger and you're doing a bunch more things. So it's definitely cool to see. Yeah. It keeps me busy and uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy with where things are going and feedback's been great, but you know, we're, we're just saying uh, where you, you were away on a hunting trip and things, kind of broke loose at the house, you know, <laughs> what, uh, what, what have you been up to, man, this past spring? Uh, I, I, you know, I know you're diehard whitetail, but I don't know what, what, uh, your spring was up to this past year. Yeah. You know, it's springs. I always, I always try and take, you know, kind of call it like the new year, at least into the springtime to just kind of reset, you know, it's like we go so hard, you know, honestly, like even through the summer when you're starting to talk about prep stuff, but like, you know, once that season hits in September, really through into December, it's like you go pretty hard. So for me, I always try and take a little time to reset from the whitetail stuff. You know, I mean, definitely still shooting the bow a bunch and kind of getting gear back in order and things like that. But, you know, do a bunch of family stuff. My wife and I like to camp and, um, you know, get out and do a bunch of that. You know, a little bit of yard work, catching up with stuff around the house, but just generally you know, try and travel a bit and spend more time with family and friends and all that stuff to kind of fill the cup up before, uh, dive back into season. So, yeah. Do you get out at all for Turkey? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Wisconsin where I live, uh, our season's a little tight. So the way it works here is you have to apply for not only a region, but also a time frame within that region. Um, so, you know, you basically end up with a seven day season, um, you can get leftover tags um, for a lot of the later seasons sometime, but um, yeah, I'll always, I'll always get out around here. I don't 
typically travel too much to, mm-hmm. to chase birds. I'll chase them in Wisconsin and yeah. you know, that's kind of it for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I had a, I had a fun spring. I got two, I got one here in Pennsylvania, one in Ohio. And man, I'll tell you what, it's so funny to see when I've, hunted with friends now in this past spring and and obviously wearing the specter and they're like man this is like the end all be all when it comes to the camo pattern i'm like dude it is the best when it comes to whitetail from you know august if you're going out to north dakota early september whatever have it to you know obviously during the rut in in november and then when the green comes up it's even better for for turkey it's awesome dude yeah but we've been obviously i mean as you know that pattern was three plus years in development so we were excited about it when it came out and you know about as confident as you could possibly be through all the different lab testing we did and then in the field testing we did on it but it's been fun to you know really see that come to fruition in the market um not only on people's success stories but you know other companies and partners that are fired up on it and want to include it on you know bows and rifles and all kinds of other licensed gear so um it's done done exceptionally well um and there's a lot of people really happy with it which is cool nah man congrats on that again i know we talked about that before on the podcast so it just just shows the hard work and effort that you put in and, and your team and uh it's just it's great stuff but you know let's dive into some things here greg where you know, we're getting down to that nitty gritty time of like, you're just saying, preparing for that summer, you've been shooting your bow. And I've been wanting to talk to some of my good friends and especially these diehard whitetail guys that, you know, live and breathe this stuff. And I know you are one of them. That's why I really wanted you to have you on for this and kind of not necessarily talk about gear. And one of those, one of the aspects I want you to cover is like your whitetail checklist, like your summer checklist when it comes to, you know, either prepping your gear, mentally getting prepared, whether it's scouting, habitat management, like let, we could dive down probably a bunch of holes that we hopefully could cover a good bit <laughs> on um, as far as timing goes. But, you know, when we look at it, you know, we're going to air this in July. So I guess you could do a, a brief overview of what you've done up to this point and where things are heading from there. Yeah, for sure. And, and honestly, I mean you know, I eat, sleep, you know, live and breathe this (laughs) stuff, but I'm, I'm going to guess that, you know, my kind of lead up to, or my off season is maybe a little non-conventional compared to a lot of really, you know, other hardcore whitetail guys. And we can get into why that is and definitely not saying it's right. Um, but it works for me. So, um, yeah, we can get into all that. I mean, I think where I'm a little less conventional is, you know, I think a lot of guys once spring roll, you know, spring turkey season rolls around, it's like, oh, it's time to get cameras out. It's time to, you know, start scouting deer, watching deer grow, you know, things like that. I used to do that. I mean, I used to, you know, June 1st, right? It was always like if my cameras weren't out by June 1st, I was upset with myself. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I've just, I've stopped stopped running cameras honestly most of the summer like for me it's it's fun watching deer and like for me that's kind of what i was always doing like running cameras in the summer is you're kind of just watching deer and there's nothing wrong with that but i don't personally hunt any parcels or have any parcels that are big enough that the deer all the deer i see in the summer are going to be there in the fall so it seemed to be you know i think 
And let me take a step back. If I'm, let's say I grab a new chunk, which I don't have any new chunks this year, I'll run cameras in the summer more or less to figure out deer movement, right? Like you can put boots on the ground and you can, which I still think is the most effective and important way to scout. But if I'm trying to learn a new chunk, um, you know, I'll put the boots on the ground and then I'll run cameras to really like confirm my suspicions about like, is this pinpoint actually getting used the way I think it's going to, right? Like are the deer actually betting and, you know, this area and feeding from there, you know, moving, transitioning to this feeding area. Like that's where I'll use them in the summer. If it's ground that I know already, a lot of times, like I won't really put cameras out until, you know, either the beans start to turn or it's getting like pretty close to season. Just because like what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to find a couple of deer to go after. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll shoot a handful of does every year and, you know, keep the freezer full. But in terms of harvesting, like a mature buck, um, normally it's, you know, if I have three of them that are on the hit list, like that's a good starting point for me. Yep. And what I've found in my area is like those deer just move so much from their summer patterns to their fall patterns. Um, so getting too excited about finding deer in the summer while it's cool to watch them grow, like, <laughs> It was always just a bit of a fool's errand for me. Um, it's like this big buildup, and then it's just like that balloon just deflates, and you're like, oh, now I got to go find them now. So it's like a, a whole other workload that, that you have to do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of guys are going to argue with that. A lot of guys don't agree with me on that, and, you know, that's totally fine. But for me, what I like to do is like this, you know, call it June, July, August, like, that's where I prioritize all the other stuff that frankly I want to have dialed before season. So it's like shooting my bow as much as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like I shoot my bow year round, but it's like, this is the time where, you know, maybe I was shooting spots all winter and it's like, I'm going to, you know, foam deer targets now or animal targets, like really focusing on not shooting spots, but you know, that muscle memory of picking a spot and the repetition there. So it's like, that's really important to me going through the gear that, you know, it was all put away in December of last year, but it's like checking all my, you know, my straps and ropes on tree stands and sticks and saddles and like going through my pack and, you know, all that stuff that just to make sure it's like nothing's broke, nothing needs to be fixed. You know, yep. you did my, you know, it's like, did my grunt tube fall in the mud last year and didn't get it fully cleaned <laughs> out. And like, you know, it's like things like that. Like, that's what I really like to focus this time on. Obviously if I'm, you know, picking up a new parcel or trying to get on new ground, like boots on the ground now, you know, maybe running cameras there. Um, that's something I focus on. And then I do have one chunk, um, a buddy of mine owns it, um, in Western Wisconsin. And that's arguably our, you know, one of my better spots I have to hunt. And because it's private ground, we have the ability to do some habitat management stuff there. So we'll spend obviously this time, um, which it takes a lot of time, right? Like we do TSI every year, which is a couple weekends for sure. Um, we spend a couple weekends getting, uh, we do a lot, we've been doing a lot of like screens. Um, so like plot screens and trail screens, stuff like that, planting those, um, getting the actual plots in. Um, we put a few water holes in that we've moved a few times. Um, you know, hanging stands. We like to kind of have a mix there of like pre-hung stuff. And then, you know, we'll obviously run and gun as the season goes on. But, um, you know, in terms of actual like property work, um, do a bunch of that in the summer at that place too. Now, is that the area that uh, Jeff Sturgis was with you guys a couple of years ago? 
Correct. Yep. Yeah. He came in and kind of did like a property overview and plan with us. And uh, we've been implementing some of the stuff, you know, that we talked about with him as well as some other stuff. So that's kind of, it's fun because it's always a work in progress, right? Like it's never done. There's always something that we want to improve or change. So yeah. that's always a fun thing to do this time of year. Yeah. One aspect I know that you were saying that I totally agree with you on like wholeheartedly, Greg, is the fact that when it's time to switch that muscle memory time and get those repetitions on those deer targets or other animals, depending on what you're chasing. Like if you're going out for antelope or whatever, you know, you are practicing that. Do you go like one area that I've really worked on is to handle that moment of truth, right? So, you know, being able to calm the nerves, you know, do you do anything strategically? Why like strategy, strategy wise, like with your process, like, Hey, I do, X amount of shots or I may maybe get up in a tree a little bit and, and take shots. And then my last two shots, they have to be in a certain area and then kind of go from there. Do you do anything like that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I have like from my back patio to like, you know, I get just about an acre or whatever mm-hmm. here. So from my back patio to, I have the targets way in the back of the yard. It's like, 85 yards so it's it's i got a good ways to stretch it out what i really like to do is it's like i leave the bow you know very accessible got a little shelf for it right next (laughs) to the garage door and like i pick one time maybe like in the morning or you know right at lunch or whatever depending on what the day has i'm like i love that cold shot yeah so it's like i haven't shot at all i'm not warmed up it's the first arrow out of the bow you know i know the yardage right but it's like you got to make that one count. And I always try and like simulate it. It's like, okay, this is like a hunting scenario, right? Like this is November 4th. You know, I haven't shot a deer yet this year, you know? Yeah. And then what I typically like to do is like, I'll do that, you know, at some point in the morning or early afternoon, um, try and get, you know, whatever, even if it's a half an hour to, you know, a little bit longer, if the day allows to actually just shoot a bunch of different yardages. I'm always like, I'm a three shot group guy. Like, that's kind of my sweet spot is shoot three, go get them, come back, shoot three. And then I like to do that one more time, like kind of at the end of the night, you know, maybe it's like after dinner, just like right at that dusk, you know, it's like when the shot typically always happens, right. It's like right before shooting light ends, like do that, you know, that one shot again, it's like, can you make this one count at a known distance? You know, you don't get a follow-up shot type of thing. Yeah. So now when, when the the summer months happen, when do you start, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it even dates prior to the summer, but mapping out like where you plan on going as far as like out of state trips. And I know, like you said, you have your home, Wisconsin. I know you've done Kansas the last couple of years. What do you have planned coming up right now? And then how are you preparing for those opportunities? Yeah. And a little bit of that for me is influenced through work, work, to be completely (laughs) honest. Like, um, you know, the job that I have and do, um, field testing gear is one of the most important things, you know, in my like, you know, yearly cycle of let's call it product development. And I know people kind of like laugh at that, like, Oh, you know, what a tough job you got, you know, you (laughs) get to go and field test gear, but um, it's, and I think I've I've probably said this before to you. um, I know I have like one of the most important things for me in developing product is making sure that our customers are not Guinea pigs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, when we put a product out to market, it has been thoroughly tested both in the lab with regards to like textiles and insulations and, you know, things like that, but also in the field. So for us, you know, the way our product cycle works is, 
you know, we do all the lab testing that we can do both on, you know, the individual piece level. So different linings and shells and insulations and trims, you know, and then we build a garment um, out of these things after we've qualified all of the parts and pieces. So we qualify all the parts and pieces and then we start prototyping actual garments. Um, So we'll start putting those parts and pieces into prototype garments. Um, And then those go into the field for an entire season. So for example, like, you know, this is going to release in July, right? Like this coming fall. So September through December, I will have pieces of gear in the field that aren't slated to get launched until 2025. So I'll actually be prototyping the, you know, the field test samples this whole season. We'll go back to the drawing board. We make a bunch of changes, right? And then we make more of them. We call them market samples. And those will go out to like, you know, our pro team or our ambassadors or whoever next year. So 2024, they test them for an entire season. We make more changes, you know, kind of finalize things, you know, tune things up, tune things in, whatever. And that gets released to the public in 2025. Um, so that's kind of our, our process. So because of that, like some of my trips are really based off of like what gear I need to test. So this stuff that I'm building for 2025, like, it is built for a specific set of circumstances, whether that's weather or yeah. types of hunting, geographic regions. So some of my hunts are kind of based around like, what, where do I need to be and what do I need to be doing to appropriately test this gear? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously the trace is out, you know, you're not really testing that out in Kansas in November. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, right. So yeah. It, it, kudos to uh, our, our good mutual friend, Taylor Chamberlain for, I'm sure not to my knowledge, but good for him for not uh, boasting something on on a uh, on a video or something like that that he wasn't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess the you know long long answer to your not so long question is um, we typically start like January one, right? So this last January, I'll sit down with my team, um, you know, both on the product side and we like to build content and show mm-hmm. some of this stuff. Right. So it's like, okay, these are the things we're talking about near. These are the things we're going to do in terms of product. We're going to build, you know, kind of what are the locations we want to showcase, you know, what time of year do we want to be going to those places? And then we'll start figuring out like, do we need to put in for tags there? Is it a, you know, is right. it over the counter state? Do we have a connection of a place we can hunt? Are we gonna hunt private, public, whatever? Excuse me. We'll start putting those things together. Um, and then, you know, kind of wait to see what we get in terms of draw results. And then we'll fill in the, you know, the holes from there. So typically by, you know, obviously like July 1st, I really like to have my schedule dialed in for what my fall is gonna look like in terms of, you know, the out of state stuff. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So when you're mapping that out, I guess, you know, over the last couple of years, because that's like... I mean, obviously, it's probably very relatable to someone like myself that wants to come out west. You're strategically planning, like, how many years out am I? You know, that's a little bit of a different process for you and your team just because, you know, like you said, it's it's a specific piece of gear that you're going to be trying to map out. Like, okay, hopefully one of us pulls this tag out there or wherever and try to get yeah. it done. So that's that's pretty unique. So when that time comes, 
And, you know, are you, uh, obviously it would, it's great to be, uh, filling tags when you have those out of trip, you know, situations, are you, I know you've talked about it in the past, map scouting, getting going, making a trip out there earlier beforehand. Like what's your game plan when it comes to, to that? Yeah, it really depends on the situation. You know, like if let's say, for example, um, I'm trying to think. So like this year, one of the things we have on the docket is, is Illinois in late mm-hmm. October, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a chunk of ground. It's a big chunk of ground. Um, it's a spot I've never stepped foot on before. Um, because that's fairly close. Like, you know, I, I kind of have like a couple pronged approach. Like one, I'm going to lean into people that have a know something about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And can kind of start me off in the right direction. Um, then kind of secondary to that, I'm going to start digging into the maps big time. Yeah. It's like looking at, you know, pinch points, travel corridors, bedding, food, you know, not only that parcel, but obviously all the stuff around it too. And just really start taking notes, you know, I'm dropping pins on Onyx, um, taking notes in terms of like places I really want to actually like walk through and check out. And then a place like that, like I'll try and make a trip there just to confirm um, at least the layout of, you know, the ground and, you know, what what my suspicions were um, on the computer yeah. screen at some point. And what I like to do is, you know, I like to do that at some point, probably earlier than most. Um, you know, like I really like almost like this time frame or like July. Obviously the the vegetation changes so much and, you know, that can affect these spots that you've picked out, you know, come late October. Right. Um, but for me, it, it's more, it's less of like picking out trees and more of like, oh yes, like this ridge does actually run from here to here. There is, you know, a flat top here. There is a, there's a draw here that, you know, I need to be concerned about thermals. Like this is a food source that I thought it was. So it's really like confirming the pieces of the puzzle. Cause then I can go back to the maps. Right. And yep. with all that information, it's like actually come up with a game plan so that when I show up in um, end of October, it's like, I'm ready to then go pick that tree because I know about all these other parts and pieces. Right. And that's great because I think the next part that I want to dive into with this is with your, a lot of out of state hunts, I would, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong. I would say you probably spend more time out of state hunting than you do in, in your home state, Wisconsin. That's an interesting question. I've never actually like figured out the days. I mean, I guess like hours in the tree, I probably spend more hours in Wisconsin just because, yeah. you know, our season opens September 15th. It doesn't close okay. till January. And a lot of the spots I have for like, especially until daylight savings time, like I can hunt after work. So right. like hours, like butt in the stand is probably more here, but I typically do at least three out of state hunts a year. Um, so I do spend quite a bit of time traveling. Okay. So like wouldn't, so let's talk about Wisconsin and then all these other states then, Greg, because you doing these trips and everything, you've been able to adapt, right? Like learn on the fly, I guess, and, and be able to put yourself in a, in a good situation. You know, adapting through the season, how are, how are things like tra- changing for you if, like you said, you go out to Illinois here at the end of the month and, you know, you get in there then October and you're like, man, this isn't what I thought. Like now it so much has changed. I do need to, I need to adapt, you know, what's your thought process to make that pivot? Um, where, where are you coming up with, I guess, either from game plan a to 
game plan be, if that makes sense? That's a good, I mean, I think that's such a good question. And I think, you know, the answer you're going to get from me today is frankly different than the answer you would have got five years ago and especially 10 years ago. Like when I, I, I think back to like the a younger version of myself and like I would spend as much or more time e-scouting and I would get so set on like, this is the plan. This is the spot. Like yeah. you go in there and like, this is the tree you picked out. And it's like, I'm going in that tree because all of the other things say I should be in that tree. Right. And like, I was almost too rigid in my process. And I think it cost me like, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in chasing whitetails as long as I have and being as serious about whitetails as long as I have is like the need to be flexible. Yeah. And like, I've taken it almost to the other extreme now where I think that's why I like scout less during the summer and like run cameras less during the summer than I used to is because like my whole mentality now is like hot sauce, like what's happening now. So it's like, if it's the first week of the season, it's like what's happening now is around food. And like, I need to figure out, you know, where those deer are coming out to feed, right? Like not a month ago, where are they coming out to feed yesterday? Where are they going to come out to feed tomorrow? Right. And like, that's where I'm putting my attention to. If we get into October, it's like, where's the pre-rut activity happening? Like, where are the scrapes? Where are the rubs? Like, and what are the ones not that they made you know, last year or even a week ago, like what's the one he made yesterday. Right. And that's really where like I've transitioned from going like, you know, from plan, like plan A is great. Like I, I think there's no substitute for doing your homework and being prepared. But to me, plan B is more important. And sometimes that means like, you know, the situation where it's like you found your tree, it's like gray light. Like, you know, you're maybe like five minutes late, but you know, you could like still get up there and be okay. But then you're like looking and you're like, God, that spot 50 yards over uh-huh. there is way better. But you still go up that tree because you don't want to be moving around. It's like sometimes, and I do this more often than not, it's like go to the tree you know you need to be in, right? Like go because if you go in the one that you don't know you need to be in, and even if you're up there 15 minutes earlier and that deer walks by the other one, like you still can't shoot it, right? And if you bust that deer, like go into that tree because you were late, at least you followed your gut and like, maybe you can still make it happen. Right. And I think for me, that's been like the biggest thing in the last 10 years is like being more flexible, hunting actually like the deer and what they're doing now. Right. And really like trusting your gut to go from like, Hey, I put in the work for plan a, but I'm going to trust my gut for what I'm actually going to execute. Dude, that is perfect. I always lately I've been coming up this past spring just to fill you in real super quick. I've said it multiple times on the podcast, but I did not coach this past year. So I've put in a lot more time scouting, just checking some old signs, especially where I live here in central PA, just because last year I didn't do that. I put all my eggs in the basket of Northeast PA. I was chasing like two really good bucks. And, um, with that now I was like, I'm, I'm going to get out here just to scout a little bit. And what you're saying is, is an analogy that I've been trying to kind of help myself through this process of being able to have multiple spots is I want to be able to go to the dance, right? And so let's go to the dance. Let's at least be able to get in the door. But then from there, exactly what you're saying, once it's in season, if that means I'm in a square area of, okay, I found good sign. I found the, what I want, want to hopefully hunt when it comes fall. If I get in there and it's not the sign that I'm hoping for, then it's go find it, right? At least I'm in that general 
area that will then help me to adapt and, and find what I really need to basically be in. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think the other thing too is, I mean, I don't care what anybody says, like whitetail season is a grind and it's yep. long. And if you're putting, you know, as many hours in the tree as, you know, guys like us do, like, at a certain point in the season, you start to get burnt out, yeah. right? Like yep. it's inevitable. And those are the times where you typically make mistakes. You're not in as early as you should be. You don't sit as late as you should be. You know, you're clumsy with, you know, you forget a piece of gear you need or whatever, right? Cause you're mentally toast. What I found is like the longer I can keep that from happening, typically the better I am. And if I go, if I start going, you know, full gas in July, and you know come like october that sets in right where it's like if i kind of like pace myself like this is a marathon right and start going full gas later it's like i can i can kind of like keep that burnout to like you know towards the very end of the season and i just i find myself like more effective and more energetic and i'm thinking clearer and frankly i'm hunting harder than i would be if i you know, it started going a little too hard, a little too early. Yeah. Well, you, you said again about going with your gut and we I've talked about this, uh, the last couple of weeks with certain guests, man, it seems like anytime I go against that, I really burn myself and the times that I should have, or a friend or a relative did go with like, say a gut that I have, you know, like asked me maybe for, uh, what, what would you do in this scenario or what do you think or anything along those lines? Some have had success. Some have, you know, whether it's, oh man, I saw this happen or whatever it be. Like you said, it's amazing to me talking to you since we've been known each other the last almost four years, basically. And you're dating it back to how you're saying over the last 10 years, how much it, things have evolved for you. I'm sure that gut is something that you've are adjusting to and, and being like, okay, I need to just go with that. Is that kind of how another progress to the learning over the last 10 years as well? Totally. I mean, last, like Kansas last year is like the perfect example, right? Okay. So it's like, I, I was fortunate enough to draw Kansas three years in a row, you know, and obviously draws have gone down there. You know, I didn't have obviously any points any year because I drew the year before and, you know, finally last, like, it's last year. Like that was the hunt I was waiting for. It's mid November in Kansas. Like good luck, you know, find anything better than that. Right. So it's like we show up and you know, we've had, we have three years worth of, you know, data on this place now. And it's like, I know exactly where I'm going to kill the big deer this year. Right. I know Mm -hmm. a deer that's still alive there from the year before. Like I already, like I felt more prepared than ever. And we roll in, it's like, it's the perfect time of year. We've really honed in on like what the best week is and this warm front comes through. And it was just like, you know, five years ago, me would have been like, whatever. It's the second week in November, who cares if it's warm? Like they're gonna be doing the same thing. Like go to the spot, you know they are, right? Right. And last year is like, well, it's warm. The wind because of that, right? Like it's, there's a little bit more South than what I would like for that spot. I was like, we got 10 days. I'm like, there's a really safe spot that I know is like a great travel corridor and somewhat of an observation sit. And it's like, my gut was just telling me, it's like, just go there because you know, you never kill a deer in the first day anyways. And like, you know, don't, don't risk blowing that deer. Cause I was kind of after one deer It was a deer okay. we saw the year before. Um, he was a giant the year before, like 
we knew he didn't get killed during archery or rifle season. He was somewhat of a homebody. We had a ton of pictures of him. Um, and so we took, like, we played it super safe. We went into this spot that was frankly not that far from the road where we park. Our wind was great the whole time. And just to kind of see what was going on. And lo and behold, we killed that deer in that spot that morning. Right. Yeah. And the reason was, is we got in clean, you know, it was an unpressured deer. He was using, you know, he was using his intelligence, right? Like all the data he had from the last five years to keep himself what he thought was safe. And he was still running does. And what was super interesting is that nobody else that we were, we had four hunters there that year. Nobody else saw any rut activity that morning. And we were like blown up at it. Yeah. And we just happened to be in this little pocket, right? Where those mature deer, like, and I think it's like, it's, you know, not to get too off topic too, but so many times, you know, we go out and we're like, oh, the rut's not happening. It's like, no, the rut's happening. It just, it wasn't happening where you we were. were. Yeah. And I think sometimes in these like unusual, like wind direction or weather patterns that happen during, you know, our quote unquote rut that we think like turns it off. It's just, especially those old mature deer, they continue to rut, but in really small spaces that they feel really safe. And yep. I think we just happen to be there that morning, you know? And like, I think that's the perfect example of kind of how my thought process has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, somewhat of that was luck. Like, I didn't know those deer were going to be running there this morning. What I, that morning, what I knew I didn't want to do is blow that deer out of there trying to push in too hard, right. you know? Yeah. So let me ask you this, just because you've been doing that land habitat management in Wisconsin and, and you know, you're going to these some awesome states and you've killed some freaking hammers, like you said, in Kansas. I feel like the one aspect of my hunting journey over the last like two years that I'm getting better at is, you know, obviously asking that word why and really piecing those more pieces of the puzzle together. And part of that was, and I, I think it always went to the back burner and it was what you just said, that safe zone, right? There's that one area where these mature deer feel like they could get away with things because they have in the past and no one's really been in there. When it comes to your land habitat management, are you doing anything to kind of create that safe zone for these, for these whitetail that like now, if you have that you've seen say activity happen or success happen that now you are pulling that to other States or like in reverse, did you notice that from say Kansas that now you're like, I could try to recreate something similar here on my land that I hunt in Wisconsin. Yeah. Honestly, it's some of each, right? When you have boots on the ground, as much as we do on that Wisconsin parcel, it's like every year it's such a, it's such a, um, you know, an influx of information and there's so much learning that goes on, not only about that parcel, which obviously is, is the case, but lessons you can apply to other States, like to your point. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the one thing, and, and I'll stand by this, you know, tr- true and true that, you know, good luck arguing or changing my mind on this, that I think I've learned is that, like, the thing that still trumps anything you can do from a habitat improvement standpoint or from, you know, whether that's food or cover or transition or travel is pressure. Yeah. Like, you can do all of the right things on, you know, in the best location in your state. And if you overpressure deer, um, in that, you know, what that chunk that, you know, call it like white tail heaven. If you overpressure yep. deer, like good luck killing big mature deer. If you have a piece that's maybe like 
not as optimal for habitat and food and, you know, travel corridors and all those things, but those deer aren't pressured. Like I'll take that second scenario every single time. Right. Um, they're both important, right? Like if you can put both of those together where it's like you create a haven for them and you don't overpressure them, um, that's the best case scenario. But sometimes it's out of your control. Like even the, you know, our place in Wisconsin, it's, you know, there's three of us that bow hunt it, um, okay. but it's a family owned piece of land and a lot more people gun hunt it. So even though they're not actively hunting during bow season, like, you know, they're in and out of there doing things, hanging their own cameras, you know, getting their own stuff set up for gun season, which as they should be, right? Like right. It's, it's their spot, it's their land. It's, um, they have as much right to it as anybody else, but it does add an element of pressure that's out of your control, which I think could also be said for like public spots too. Like I love hunting public spots. It's maybe one of my favorite, you know, things to do, especially new spots. And I think, you know, five years or 10 years ago, me used to get frustrated when other people were in there, you know, rutting around and whatever, but it's like, that is the one thing that I think has more impact than anything else um, on a piece of property and deer is, is the actual pressure on them. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specification in the Arrow Builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, the first being the MMT Arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU12 to save 12% off your tailored arrow order at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. You just said something that sparked a, a light bulb to go off for me. Like when I'm going out, especially locally here, where I thought I found a really good spot, it was a little bit further away than, and the access to that area was, was pretty tough actually. And I got down in there and the sign was just lit up. I mean, it was like someone plugged in uh, New, New York City's Christmas lights and just bing, like it was just rubs, scrapes, you name it. And I'm walking around through all these little trails, nicks and crannies, like faint trails, good trails. And I'm looking up and down, Greg, and I'm, I could not find a uh, trail camera. So I'm like, man, uh, all right, I might be in the money here. And then I finally found one and I gave it the thumbs up. And I, and I started in that moment, I walked up o over this one little uh, ridge and I just stood there for a little while and I was dissecting the map and I'm looking at it, and my thought process at this time was, okay, if there's one, maybe two guys hunting this area, and I know where the easier access is on the other side of the ridge, okay, where are deer going? And if deer feel safe down here, if this guy comes in from this end, where do deer feel safe? Like, I'm trying to then see, okay, where the pressure deer is going to go, where maybe then... I will plan on trying to go hunt for next year. Like yeah. that's that. So like you said, it's almost, and honestly, it kind of screwed my dad back at home on our private piece because this older gentleman who only hunts rifle season, he at a, like at the club meeting was telling my dad, Oh, this is where I'm hunting, showing him a couple pictures of like some really good deer that we did not have on camera near our area. And where he was explaining, it sounded like he was way down the mountain. Well, come to find out during rifle season, I I crushed a doe, I think it was the second weekend, and I just started walking around a little bit, and I I look, I'm like, holy cow, what is that, uh, the Taj Mahal, basically, 
doing yeah. here? <laughs> and I've looked on my map and I knew where I was and I look and I, I was in line basically with my dad, just shy about 300, 400 yards across a two track into some thick, thick, nasty stuff and, and timber. And I texted my dad a waypoint of this, of this blind basically. And I said, dad, I said, uh, that older gentleman, that's a member here. I said, is literally straight, even with you, but just on the other side. And, and he goes, what? He goes, I thought he was down more. I said, nope. So we're, and I would say Greg about 300, maybe a little bit more than that up a couple ridges is where my brother's area, quote unquote, w- would be with a, he has like a hang on up there. And my dad sometimes goes in there for bow season and he has a camera near there. It was like the least amount of deer ever on on that camera he hunted it maybe once or twice and really did not see much and i guarantee you that guy brought in that stand post kind of during the rut and just kind of blew everything all out and it it was a we didn't know that though till the second week of rifle like the season's over basically at that point in time you know so it was that pressure in that area like during the rut in bow season my dad uh uh, hit a buck and everything like that. And I had a couple encounters, but it wasn't to our usual, you know, uh, deer sightings that we usually have had in the past. And I really do think some of that pressure by that guy moving in really, uh, put a, put a dampering on things. Yeah. I mean, and, and some of that's unpredictable, right? Oh, like, 100%. That's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head for me too. It's then, it's not like, what do they say the definition of insanity is? Like doing the same thing over and over and expecting <laughs> different results. You know, it's like, yeah. I sometimes think back to the way I used to hunt and it was like, gosh, that's what I was doing. It was like, I was doing the same thing over and over and expecting yep. different results. And it's like, you just got to kind of adapt and learn as you go. And whether it's like somebody in a spot you didn't think they were at, or frankly, it's like, you know, you scouted a spot and there's sign everywhere and it looks like, you know, the best thing you've ever seen, but you hunt it and you don't have any success. It's like, well, you know, you, you gotta move like yep. as good as it looks if it's not producing it's like figure out what the next play is and i think you know the evolution of like super lightweight tree stands and saddles Huge. and like that's helped that scenario so much because you know your energy investment or your bandwidth into moving is so much less now yep. right it's like to move 100 yards or 50 yards or a mile if you need to it's like it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. And I think that's something that's really changed, you know, for a lot of people's hunting styles too, is like this idea of, of being mobile um, and kind of adapting. And, and not only is it more fun, but like, I just, I think it's really important. It depends what your goals are, right? right? Like everybody's goals in hunting are different as they should be, you know, like for some people, their goal is, you know, to spend time on the the family's 40 acres and to put some meat in the freezer. And, you know, there's five stands that have been there for 15 years and there's always does that walk by and like, that's great. Like if that's your goal and you're successful and like, that's what you enjoy doing, like more power to you. You know, there's certain guys that won't sit in the same tree twice, right? Like it's just like out of principle type of thing and they're constantly moving and that's what makes it fun for them. And that's great. You know, for me, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. Like I'd like to lean into spots that I know are historically good during certain times of year. And, you know, that's based off of five, 10, 15 years of experience on those places. But I'm also like really like to be adaptable um, and move around too. And, you know, my sweet spot somewhere in the, is somewhere in the middle of those. That's how I've kind of approached the hunting back at home more. So recently the last couple of years is with that mobile aspect, because 
I know there's been areas that have always produced really good deer movement, but now it's, you know, things change and, and deer obviously are using different par- parts and pieces of it. So I'm just been able to, okay, where is that latest sighting and, and sign and all that stuff. And being mobile has helped me out uh, tremendously with that. It's, it's been something in, I think there's, there's kind of multiple levels. Like, you know, we're talking about being mobile and like lightweight stands and saddles. It's like, it's, this is evolvement of technology, right? Yeah. And you can apply it to trail cameras, you know, going from the ones you had to <laughs> take the film in and get developed to SD cards to now cellular cameras, right? Yep. The, you know, the, the, the way these apps have evolved, whether it's Spartan Forge or, you know, DeerCast or yep. whatever. And, I did an experiment two seasons ago and I kind of followed it up last year too. So I have one chunk. um, It's a lease my dad and I have, you know, it's only about 30 minutes from the house and that's kind of, we're the only two guys that hunt it. Um, It's like 80 acres, you know, a good chunk of it is, is ag. So it's not necessarily huntable, but um, you know, there's, there's, it's a good deer density area. Um, Not a ton of like, like there, I'm lucky if there's a buck I want to chase on it every year type of thing. You know, there's, there's typically one, um, you know, really mature deer, but there's a lot of deer. Um, sometimes there's two, you know, that hit that four plus year old mark. Um, but two years ago I I said, and I didn't, I said, I'm not going to run a single trail camera on this piece and I'm just going to hunt it to hunt it. Right. Yep. And I deleted all the apps from my phone and it was so fun because it was like, I, I knew the potential of deer that were there, but I didn't know what deer were there. Right. Yep. And you kind of went, I went back to my roots a little bit of like, instead of looking at deer cast or looking at Spartan forge and being like, Oh, should I go out this afternoon? It was like, what's the barometric pressure doing? What's the wind doing? How's the temperature? Like what's the moon? Like me kind of like looking at those things. And also it's like, when's the next time I'm going to be able to hunt. And like, I had more fun hunting that chunk, like not using any technology to my advantage, like really leaning in like woodsmanship and like every single hunt was like, I have no idea what I'm going to see here. Right. So it was like every hunt was fun. And frankly, like I learned a lot that season, um, even just on that parcel and believe it or not, I ended up seeing more big deer more times than I ever had before. So I think there's like, there's a fine line or there's a balance between that. Like I still use cell cams, right? Like I, I love to use these tools, but I think sometimes we fall in a trap too of like relying yep. too much. It's like, Oh, well that camera hasn't gone off in three days. And Spartan Forge says today is like a core area day, right? It's like, I'm not even going to go hunt. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, that camera didn't go off in three days, but did that deer that you're after walk on the other side Sorry. of it three days in a row, you know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I think sometimes we, we get overburdened by the tools and technology and we stop actually hunting, which I think hurts us a lot of times. Dude, I, you're not the first one to say that. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people that feel that same exact way, including myself. So I, I, I like that. So kind of to, to, before we wrap things up, Greg, so we know what, what we're doing for what you're doing, basically mapping out your, your hunts in that end of in January and figuring out where you plan on going here because you're testing gear. Then your summer months, you're shooting, you're getting your gear already up. And you, you just said Wisconsin, you're already opening around that second week of, of September. So when September hits, how does 
that that switch happen, right? I always talk to, I love when I talk to certain people that are just straight up whitetail killers, man. And when it happens, they're like, uh, if I'm going out today and I need to put meat in the freezer and they'll just say, hey, I'm, if a doe comes out or whatever opportunity I get, you know, that, that they flip that switch. So September one hits, well, what dial or what switch is happening for you when it comes to changing your mentality, maybe a process to get ready for that grind that we've been talking about? For sure. Um, so I try and have the honeydew list done. Um, that's, that's number one, right? Yep. No, for me, it's, it's, I like, I look at it as like, I have ebbs and flows in my season, right? So, yeah. you know, we typically in Wisconsin, we open like that second Saturday in September. We have a great opportunity to still hunt deer in their summer patterns. So end of August, like in the beginning of September, that's when I really like, I get into scouting. I try and do as much of it as I can from the truck because I'm hunting deer that are coming out of the timber into food, right? right. So it's like, that's a great way to not rely on a camera to catch a deer, but it's like, I want to see not only where the deer, but the majority of deer are coming into that food source that I'm going to hunt. So like for me, the first two weeks of this season are like as hardcore as the rut. Like I'm after a deer that's patternable if yeah. I can find one that I want to shoot and like it's game on. So I'm trying to hunt every single night that I can, every single opportunity that I can. Um, if I have something that I want to go after on one of these spots. Um, so it's like when that switch flips for me, it's like we go from zero to a hundred, yep. right? Once those deer kind of transition from their summer, you know, into like a true fall pattern, I'll back off a little bit. That's where it's like, shoot a couple of does, put some meat in the freezer, you know, um, put a little bit more time into, you know, back into scouting. It's like, that's a great time for me to move cameras, yep. like get my cameras set up to now get an inventory of like, okay, what's going to be around here, you know, this fall and what do their patterns look like? You know, try and spend like end of September, like into, as we get that October roll up, like really learning that. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, once you get to late October, it's like that switch flips back to a hundred percent on where it's like, I'm now, you know, the end of October, like I love the pre-rut almost more than the rut. Cause again, it's like deer are patternable. They're predictable. Like I'm on one or two deer. The rut's kind of a, you know, a shit show for lack of a better term. <laughs> yep, it's like, sure he, is. he could be under your stand. He could be two miles away, but like, you gotta be out in the woods. Yep. Um, you know, and then it kind of winds down again too, where it's like right after the rut happens, like I'll kind of slow down a little bit, um, depending on where I am, like geographically, right? Like I might be chasing the rut, but it's like, if I want to put another doe or two in the freezer, that's a time where I'll do it. And then depending on like what I have left for tags in my pocket, man, late season is about as, as good as that first two weeks of the season in terms of like predicting deer, um, movement. Um, so then I'll like, if I have tags left and I have a deer I want to go after, I kind of like turn it back up. So for me, it's really like these ebbs and flows throughout the yeah. season, depending on what's going on. Heck yeah, Greg. I love all that now. Okay. So last two questions. And I think the, these are kind of ones I've, like I said earlier, I'm asking these awesome whitetail hunters, people that live and breathe this stuff, you know, a takeaway from this past season that you plan on bringing into this upcoming season that you either learn from uh, uh, maybe a bad situation, a great situation. What's the takeaway from this past season that you plan on bringing into this upcoming year? 
it's funny because we talked about this earlier and I was like maybe patting myself on the back for doing <laughs> it, but it's like, it's trusting my gut. Yeah. I had two, I had a deer in Kentucky last year and I had a deer in Mississippi last year that I let walk. And both of those deer, you know, I, I had a camera guy with me. Um, we had great footage of these deer and I second guessed myself on kind of how old they were, how mature they were. Part of it was that these were both places I'd never hunted before. So things change in terms of like, you know, body size and style and just like, you know, characteristics of deer. But in both those cases, you know, I let very mature deer for that area walk. And had I had that chance again, I probably wouldn't have done that. Um, So I think, you know, being a little bit more, I think I almost got a little too um, connected to like all of the standard characteristics of aging deer in the hoof last year, where it's like part of your gut, you just know. Right. And I like, I went away from that a little bit too much last year. Yeah. Okay, man. And one more. So we talked about, I've talked about, uh, how, how to become a more efficient hunter, and whether it's from a scouting standpoint, mobile hunting standpoint, whatever it be, what's one thing a hunter can do this upcoming season that could be a, make them a more efficient hunter? And again, my answer might be different than a lot of others. For me anyways, it's taking care of all of the other non-hunting stuff. So whether that's like family time, work stuff, like other responsibilities, you know, having all of that buttoned up makes me a more efficient hunter because then when I'm in the woods, like even though I may have slightly less time, like that's all I'm thinking about and all I'm focused on. Right. Where it's like, Mm -hmm. if I'm going out to hunt and I'm thinking about the project for work, I didn't get out the door that day or, you know, the list of, you know, chores or responsibilities that are still, it's like, I'm not fully focused on what I'm doing. So I'm better off just like get those things done and like, have a separation, right? It's like when I'm hunting, mm-hmm. I'm hunting. And when I'm not, I'm not. And that makes me way more effective and efficient when I'm in the field. Beautifully said, man. I love that answer. I appreciate you uh, using that one. That That's fantastic. Not one that was been used yet. So that's great. All right, man. Well, I was actually sitting here and I was thinking to myself, because my ADHD is like ADD is all kicking in and stuff like that. And you're I said earlier when we introduced you third time, Greg, this might actually be the fourth time because I think you and I've done it three times. And then we had you and Josh on that one other time. So this right. is actually the fourth time, man. This is, yeah. dude, that's awesome. Um, you know, I guess, is there, could you say what your upcoming season might look like this yeah. upcoming year? Yeah. So um, I'm going to be, obviously, you know, I'm based in Wisconsin for a reason. That was one of the, that's one of the reasons I'm here, right. Is because, um, you know, luckily first light finds it important enough, um, to really like, they know how important it is for me to have access to get the tree as yep. much as I possibly can. Right. So Wisconsin's, I was a huge part of my year. I have spots out the back door that I can get to. So I always kind of like start there and I fill in the cracks there. Um, so obviously that's a big part of it. Um, Looking at doing, uh, a, like I said, a hunt in Illinois, kind of end of October. We're going to try and hit that pre-rut. Um, I'm going to focus on my Wisconsin. With, since I didn't draw Kansas this year, I'm going to focus on that Wisconsin piece in western Wisconsin for our like, true um, kind of first week of November rut. Nice. Um, looking to head out to Texas, actually, um, in December. 
I'm going to do a little spot and stock whitetail cool. action there uh, in the, the hill country. And then there's one more um, that we're still kind of trying to piece together yet, uh, kind of bouncing between a few options, but likely it's going to be uh, Nebraska and deciding cool. if we want to do it either like they have that really cool opener, which I've never done. Um, would love to get there for opener or we might um, – piece that in as another like you know chasing the rut type of thing so i'll tell you what if it's any any weather like last year for that opener man you better have uh you i would just go create like a tray set of underwear totally. and that's about it because last year i had two friends that were going to go out and they decided not to because when they looked at their temperature for where they were heading it was like 98 was the low yeah <laughs> for yeah. multiple days so they were like yeah maybe not so yeah yeah uh, that's cool greg man i greatly appreciate you coming on again talking i just thoroughly enjoy when we get a chance to catch up man i'm glad life's treating you well i'm glad work's great hunting's awesome so it's a it's a pleasure to to have you uh in the in my phone book just to send a text message and, and uh get a chance to talk so i greatly appreciate you coming on again sharing wisdom where could people check you out find you follow along or whatever have it uh for this upcoming season man yeah well i think before i get into that you know same same for me man i always appreciate our friendship and it's kind of crazy that this is the fourth time we've done this and you know how long we've known each other through the whole trade show circuit yeah. and you know mutual connections and friends so um i Thanks for reaching out and, you know, giving me the time and the platform as well. Um, in terms of following along, I keep a pretty low profile. On the, <laughs> yeah, you do. Like, social media sense. I do, you know, you can find me on Instagram, which is Greg Farrell. Um, it's a bunch of, like, what, probably, like, woodworking, deer, <laughs> and maybe some, like, water skiing or trail running mixed in there. I like it. Um, but you can find me there. Um, in terms of the First Light stuff, you know, firstlight.com. Uh, you know, first like YouTube channel, we put actually quite a bit of our whitetail content out in like, um, you know, serial, both serial and kind of, you know, episodic, um, forms on YouTube. And then obviously, you know, the, the first like Instagram, um, is a place where you can kind of stay up to date on, you know, when we're releasing a lot of that stuff too. So. Awesome, man. Well, everybody go check it out. Greg's one of the, my favorite humans there is, especially in this world, uh, when it comes into hunting. So go check it out, watch those videos on YouTube and watch his Kansas hammer. Uh, that, that was a stud and a half. So thanks again, everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Antler up.